You are listening to Slaves to the Algo with Suresh Shankar, a show about AI, big data, disruptive technology, and strategies for your business to stay ahead in the age of relevance. Brought to you by Crayon Data. Hello, viewers and listeners. I'm Suresh Shankar, founder and CEO of Crayon Data, an AI and big data startup. And I'm delighted to welcome you to season two of my podcast, Slaves to the Algo. Slaves to the Algo is my attempt to demystify the age of the algorithm. I plan to share my own learnings as a professional, but also those of leading experts in the field to understand how they are using or being used by algorithms in their personal and professional lives. And today I'm delighted to have Valerie Wagoner, entrepreneur, business leader, and a force to reckon with in the technology industry. She's got close to two decades of experience in launching and scaling, not just products, but actual companies. Uh, Valerie was in the Valley, she then came down to Asia, co-founded ZipDial, exited that to Twitter, went on to work at Twitter and Credit Karma back in the Valley. The call of Asia was very strong and she's now back as the chief growth officer for GoPay, Gojek's payment arm. And Valerie has also been consistently recognized as one of the top women leaders in technology. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thanks so much, Suresh, you're very kind. Thank you. First up, a, a very personal question on data and AI, because somehow I always think that, you know, when we are professionals, we tend to react as business leaders, but we're also affected as individuals by this. Could you share some examples of some great algos that you've seen that, you know, as a consumer that you say, hey, wow, this really makes my life so much more convenient, or I worry about something like this. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, one of the reasons why I even joined Credit Karma was because of kind of the power of what they're doing to help uh, use both product experience and AI to unpack this black box that is your credit score and, and this thing that's kind of looming in your life that affects so many things in your life, at least in the US and, and a couple other key markets. but. Uh, but that people just don't understand at all, and uh, and is you'd have to have a PhD to really be able to understand. Yet it affects every consumer every day. Uh, so you know that one of the reasons that I even joined Credit Karma is because I I kind of personally uh, understood this like from my own experiences and and saw that uh, other loved ones of mine who had had either good experiences or bad experiences with how their their credit had affected their lives um, and, and saw the power of that kind of platform to really do something meaningful. And, and, and that's such a wonderful example because this is a classic case where you don't know how much one little score sitting somewhere in some computer actually runs our lives, right? And um, uh, we tend to look at all these things and um, they're invisible to us, but in some way they're actually, in, we are a slave to that credit or, you know, the credit FICO five, five score mm -hmm. algo in, in some ways. And um, you worked in several uh, exciting industries, actually. You've been in marketing and digital engagement. You've been in social media, in financial credit, now in payments. Uh, and one thing I noticed is that all of these are both heavily dependent and highly powered by data. And mm -hmm. each of them in some ways has been at the forefront of making us, um, like I said, both completely empowered by the data as well as in some ways, you know, a slave to that algorithm. And if you look at your three separate, you know, the, the three, the last three things that you did, zip dial, credit karma, go pay now. Uh, how has AI and big data changed even in those last seven, eight years of this experience? How are people using it? 
let's start with marketing engagement and social media where you uh, spent a fair bit of time. How has the yep. use of data and AI changed in that? I think it has been, it has definitely evolved to be more central. Uh, so for example, way back when we started Zipdial around 2009-10, we, we were focused on users who uh, are, are consuming, are engaging, but they're just not connected to the internet yet. And, and how can we kind of bring the user interface to them through more uh, simple and accessible means like missed calls, text, voice. But we always had the vision of being a smart, personalized platform that's talking to a user based on what we know about them. And every time they engage with a particular brand or product or piece of content, then we learn a little bit more about them and we're able to talk to them in a better way the next time. Uh, so, you know, that that was that was always kind of the vision. And, and similar to what I said about Credit Karma, you can never, AI does not, is not the solution. It has to be AI plus the product experience. It doesn't matter how amazing your engine is, you know, of your car, if you don't have like plush seats and a beautiful design and good handling with the steering wheel, you know, so it's, um, you know, it has to be a combination of the two. I think what's changed over time is that the, the um, it, previously it was always lead with the product experience and then AI is kind of an amplifier of that experience, making it more personalized, making it more relevant, making it more powerful, but always the kind of an add-on. Now what we're seeing is the AI, because the technology is so much more available and you know you don't have to have a team of hundreds of engineers or data scientists building from scratch but there's so much more that's available to be consumed and and built on top of that there's earlier adoption and in the life of a product and there's also earlier um, and there's also then therefore design for the AI you know TikTok is a is a kind of perfect example of this where literally the interface of the product is meant to optimize for what the algorithm can learn about you and your content interests you know because it's full screen because it knows exactly when you move on to the next content rather than a scroll you know a could feed you, where you, you can just elaborate see. a little that's fascinating you're saying mm -hmm. now and I think you made a lovely point you said product experience and data need to go together, but earlier it was product experience backed by data, and now it's almost data is driving the product experience. And the TikTok example is fantastic because for me, when I want to de-stress, I pick up TikTok and mm -hmm. I spend 30 minutes just going through surrendering, surrendering to the feed. So how do they actually do that when you say that data is being used to deliver the experience? And that would be really fascinating to understand. Yeah, or, or rather the, the uh, you know, a lot of the design decisions about TikTok's interface are meant to amplify what signals the algorithm is picking up and able to process and use for you to give you a better personalized experience. So again, like oversimplistic example, but you know, a full screen video versus a feed that has maybe two and a half or three different content items scrolling through it, like in your Twitter feed or your Facebook mm -hmm. feed, et cetera. And uh, how much you can learn about how much a person likes that content based on exactly the number of milliseconds they're spending with it, uh, you know, it can can more readily can can more rapidly train versus say in in uh, Twitter's case. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot will have advanced since I was there, but um, 
so much was anchored on the graph and the follow and the following graph and the content to some degree also the engagement with that content of course but uh, it's real and and getting a user to build a graph curate a graph add or remove accounts from their graph takes a lot of friction for a user yep. versus yep. the friction of like swipe swipe view stay longer don't stay long swipe you know it's a, so so um, every so time i, I that, do stay that's, just that's that little bit longer it's actually saying okay i it's deconstructing the content behind it it's putting down okay suresh watches these kind of things a little bit longer than the other stuff and let's show him more absolutely. of that absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. And uh, let's just move on a little bit. I mean, I think uh, you talked about credit karma. And for me, this is um, a fascinating thing because I think social media is the obvious one because everybody is kind of affected by it and by things like search. But credit decisions are not very well understood by consumers. Yep. You don't know why your bank rejects you. You don't know why some things happen. Uh, I think uh, clearly in the US, the FICO score is the single biggest determinant of what happens in your life in many ways. But I think that is coming to Asia. So how does actually credit and AI working differently now? What was Credit Karma trying to do to say, I can make this more accessible or I can make this more transparent to users? Yeah, so the, the credits in, in the US ecosystem or where in, in ecosystems where there are strong credit bureaus that traditional lenders are using, traditional or non-traditional lenders are using to underwrite, make just underwriting decisions about you as a consumer, that remains a black box. Uh, but with the, the first thing Credit Karma did was uh, literally buy that data on a transactional basis. Every time a user signs up, logs in, pulls their updated score, et cetera, they're paying the Bureau for that pull of data. But they're, they're, so that's the first step is creating the product experience around that to unpack that score, understand the factors affecting your credit score, helping users understand the actions they can take that will meaningfully impact their score positively or negatively. Uh, now that was more product experience, but the where the AI comes in is in all of the, the additional behavioral data that happens on Credit Karma, all the proprietary data that happens on Credit Karma, be that the way you're using the product and the different kind of educational and coaching type materials, be that uh, when you, if you apply for a particular credit card via Credit Karma and whether or not you get approved for that card, uh, you, you know, that, the, that signal itself it helps build additional proprietary data on the Credit Karma side, which is really powering two things. One is primarily better matching of products to you as a mm -hmm. customer. Uh, and the second is better suggesting things you can do to improve your effectively score and financial well-being. Uh, so, let me yeah. just pick up that second aspect because I think it's fascinating. Last year, I had a gentleman who talked about explainable AI and he said way back in the 70s, no food product came with anything on it. And now every food product has a label. And he says explainable AI is going to be in the future where literally every decision says, here are the components of this so you can actually start to understand why and hopefully manage that better. Do you see that kind of thing happening in credit that people will be telling not just here's your score, but here's all the things that you did that make the score what it is and here's the way you can do it. You think that future is coming anytime soon? I mean, it exists today with with products like Credit Karma. It, it, I mean, or it has existed for the, you know, 
12 or 13 years that they've been around, but that that is not, but that again is not AI. That's more explaining the black box, <laughs> but, yep. but explaining the black box in a way that is, um, you know, uh, kind of breaking it down for users into something meaningful and actionable. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but the- no, To some extent yeah. it is, but in an Asian context, you see this kind of a, you know, you worked in India, you worked in Indonesia, you obviously been uh, fairly, you know, cognizant of yeah. how these markets are going. Do you see that kind of a movement happening, especially because so we have such a large underserved segment out here in Asia? Yeah, what's interesting, uh, so where in many, many markets like in Asia or other markets where traditional credit bureaus don't really exist or don't serve the mass population, you know, like there are four big credit bureaus in India, but they only score like a fraction of the population, right? Uh, so the the interesting thing in, in other, in more emerging markets or is the alternative data for credit scoring. Now the question is, does does the score itself matter and it doesn't now you might use the score and mechanisms around the score as part of the product experience for the customer but uh, or maybe even as part of the product experience for lenders that you're supporting on the platform but fundamentally there's all kinds of alternative data be it your location data, your social network data, your, you know, different bank account transaction data that you're sharing, your telco data, like there's, there's so many different sources of alternative data that a variety of different companies are trying to package into better uh, credit scoring on people who otherwise, you know, are not, uh, you know, not <laughs> captured in the traditional Kind of uh, data sources, and, 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 and you again and those, have some fascinating yeah. experience there, Val, because you also worked in uh, microfinance. Do you see that actually the fact that there's a mobile phone revolution, most stations are on mobile phones, smartphones are there. The fact that there's so much data available and all of that, uh, changing credit completely, even in an Asian context. I mean, I know it's just starting to happen, but do you see any big movements or companies that are doing very different things in this in this space? Yeah, so I mean, GoPay is is a prime example of one. I, I think in in Indonesia, we're the only you know lender that grew its loan book significantly uh, through our pay later product, and versus others that either you know held, reduced, or or shut down entirely. Uh, the and uh, that has to do a lot with you know the the data we have, the way we're smartly making decisions about customers and, and expected you know, loan book performance. And um, uh, yeah, so so GoPay is a, is a perfect example. And the, the kind of signals we're using are everything, all of your signals around uh, how you're using GoJack as an app overall, all your signals around how you're using GoPay. Uh, and the, the, tons and tons of different signals uh, that, that we can pick up across the broad set of services of super app and the payments platform. And that, and it's, um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because uh, typically, you know, I mean, all the super apps and all the payment firms started off by just saying, I need to offer a payment. Now you're doing lending on that. And now I think, you know, in, in, yeah. in GoPay, you have done um, investment products, insurance, et cetera. 
So in some ways it's becoming, you know, the whole central thing of saying, if I know everything around you and your mobile phone and the services you're using, I can literally construct a financial life around that using the data that I have. Right. So how, yeah. I mean, what, what, what are you doing with, you know, you, you're now the chief growth officer of GoPay. Indonesia is a, probably one of the largest unbanked populations in the world, just like India is. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing out there to grow, how you're using data and um, how you're trying to change the landscape uh, using data? Yeah, so we are, uh, so fundamentally the, the payments platform is uh, connecting and processing payments for merchants on the acquiring side and consumers on, on the issuing side. Uh, the there there's a huge uh, body of work and, and technology uh, that from a lot of smart people who are uh, doing risk and fraud related work right mm -hmm. fundamentally as a as a payment platform or financial services advisor or financial services uh, product you have to earn the customer's trust period, right? The moment you you have any question mark around trust in the platform and how people's money is protected or secured, it's a huge problem, yeah. right? So there's, there's a lot of, um, and there are, you know, bad actors who try to, you know. Game the system. Game the system. So, you know, there's a lot of sophistication in all of the um, risk, modeling both from a kind of fraud protection side as well as from a uh, credit scoring side uh, so those those are kind of two distinct areas where where a ton of ai is being used and then on top of that is is personalization of the consumer experience to be most useful and delightful to customers so if uh, you know the both in terms of what is bringing value to customers as well as what is bringing value to customers in a way that is economically beneficial for the company and helps the company grow. You know, if we're, um, you know, we, we do a lot of work to detect say, okay, this type of user has used these types of payment services with this type of frequency and these types of merchants and locations, they might also be interested in X, Y, or Z service that they haven't tried yet and try to introduce them to those additional payment options. Uh, or uh, this user seems to be behaving in a way that we're predicting that they're gonna churn from the platform. So what are the types of interventions we can build into the product to help them stay on the platform? Uh, and, so, and, and going yeah. back to something you mentioned earlier, again, you said where the design of the product is now being more and more led by the data that it generates and you can do that. Is that the way you're approaching this uh, now? which would have been very different from, let's say, a wallet built 10 years ago, which would have focused on, can I get a lot of merchants and can I get, you know, a very convenient interface? Would you say that this is all now going to be about, uh, are the data people, the guys leading the design in some ways or sitting down and working with this? No, not yet, not yet. I would say we're, I, I remember, you know, Gojek is a going on 11 year old company, right? And the, and the app is, you know, some six, seven years old. And so the, um, uh, I think big bets we make in the future to, to really change the product experience will definitely embrace that, but that is not exactly how it operates today. Today it is product experience first, AI amplifying today. 
I think in the future, certainly it will be. New companies that are starting today certainly will be leading more with AI. And, and you know, you, you, there's a, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but it's a fascinating point. You know, you talked about product design and the data and how one is kind of the switching roles. I was talking to somebody who said, it's not just the data, it's also the human being using that. And it, it's so funny when you talk to people who are business people who are not necessarily the geeks, everybody says there's a right brain, there's the whole business side, there's the people side, there's the experience side that without that really good, you know, having all the data and having all the AI doesn't really work because you've got to make it work for consumers. And um, it's a fascinating thing that's coming up as I'm doing this podcast, because every time you go in and saying, okay, it's all about the data and the AI. And people say, no, it's not that, it's the brand, it's the trust, it's the experience of the people. So it seems that those basics still do matter in this age of AI, would you agree? I mean, though we are more led by data that is all about also the other things are still fundamentally important. Yeah, it depends on what problem you're trying to solve for customers. And and if you're TikTok and you're you're passing time and de-stressing and uh, you know enjoying content that's relevant to you, the AI absolutely must lead. But if you are um, you know, uh, if you need to get from point A to point B and you're booking a ride hailing, you know, ride AI needs to be, you know, AI is 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 helping make sure that the routing of drivers is fastest to you. So it's not it's it's not the primary Product, action. Yeah. It's an enhancer of the experience. Uh, you know, if you're, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, if if you are, uh, I think there's also a difference between is it the core service or or is it supporting a means to an end. Like, what does the customer actually want to get out of it? And in, in, even in some ways, the, you know, the, the, with say lending and credit scoring, the customer doesn't care about getting a loan. They care about buying the thing they want to buy. They care about managing their money in a month. They care about saving for their kids' education, right? And, and the a loan product is kind of a means to an end. And so the... the you know, the customer doesn't need to, the customer shouldn't have to think about the AI in that sense. True. But, yeah. True. Uh, I'm going to come back to this idea of where digital wallets, and I'm going to draw a parallel between the US and Asia. And you think you've been one of the people who's worked in both, right? Uh, there's this fascinating article that talks about the fact that um, about 10, 15 years ago, the most important thing for consumers was to increase choice in the product experience, right? I need to make more and more things available for you. You can buy from anywhere. You can listen to any kind of music, watch any kind of movie. But one of the contentions this, this author, Scott Galloway makes is that it is now becoming about the reduction of choice and making it relevant. Because when you have too much choice, in fact, the consumer experience suffers because you're looking a lot, you're reading a lot of conflicting information. And therefore, the whole idea, he says, that the company that are going to create the greatest value will be people who reduce choice and make it very, very relevant to every individual, make it like a recurring revenue bundle. Do you, again, you know, as you're doing some things like that in Indonesia and India, I think in the last five to 10 years, people have put an endless ale in front of consumers, whether it's ride hailing or e-commerce or restaurants and all that. Do you think that we're going to see that shift towards the reduction of choice and relevance where do you see that happening in the wallet industry um, in the next two or three years? Where do you see that going? Yeah, I 100% think that 
too much choice is bad for the customer. And this is, and this is just, you know, sort of uh, very old science from very traditional companies like, you know, retail, <laughs> offline yep. retail. And, uh, you know, where if you have like, you know, four different types of oranges, if you have, it, it, certainly if you have more than four different types of oranges with four different price points, it's like overwhelming and the customer's not gonna buy oranges. But if you have two, right, high price, low price, then there's maybe organic, non-organic, customer will buy more oranges, right? And there's a ton of, you know, sort of retail science that backs this up, that too much choice is too much. But the, the beauty of, of uh, technology platforms is that you you can support choice with without shelf space cost, right? The, 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 the nuance is you need both. For you need both in order for the customer to trust your recommendations among the few choices, right? We trust Amazon when they say recommended products or people who bought this also bought that because we know that Amazon has everything. You know, we're not gonna spend the time and effort digging through everything or maybe only a tiny percentage of customers are, but we know everything is available, but this, this, the, the choice that's being suggested to us is tiny. Similar with Credit Karma, the, uh, you know, when, when you use Credit Karma, they're not saying, here's all the dozens of different credit cards you might choose from, which one do you want? They're saying, this is the one we recommend for you. This is the specific one that we think is best for you based on your profile and based on your needs. If you only said this is the one and you only had one or two in your entire marketplace, that would not be enough trust. Look, absolutely. Right? Then it feels like you're just hawking a product, right? So customers know that everything's available on the platform on Credit Karma, but Credit Karma with its intelligence is saying, hey, guess what? We know a lot about your credit profile and this is a this is a card that you are extremely highly likely to get approved for. And and that, and that we think is a good fit for you. And that, that's another very specific example where, where the, the product experience tied with the AI matters so much. Like if you, even if you have all this intelligent AI that says this is the right product for you, that you're that, like, this is a good product for you versus uh, which we know in the back end is a customer is highly likely to get approved for. If you don't tell the customer that, they're not going to transact. But if you tell the customer pre-approved or high likely, like excellent odds of getting approved, like that tiny like nuance in the product experience leads to pushes the actual so, transactions. And, and, yeah. and, and you made several points that are very deeply interesting to me, right? One is the fact that you must have a assortment of sorts, which is reasonably wide or pretty, pretty wide for people to want to come to you. Through that, you know, the, there must be trust in the recommendation. You use trust a couple of times in different points in this conversation. And this is a point that sometimes I think in the data and AI world, the people are completely approaching it with a very left brain mindset so tend to forget that the purpose of this is that, you know, when I show you something, you must believe that it is relevant. Otherwise, you don't trust the algorithm. You know, you have to build trust in algorithm just like we used to in brands. And uh, how are you, as a business leader, how are you trying to kind of go in there when you're talking to people saying, let the algorithm do this, you know, we got to create that trust. Can you give us a couple of examples of how you're trying to, you've seen this trust building activity, if you were inside your company or when you're pitching it to a client or putting it into a product, how do you actually build those things? Yeah. In? 
if anything, the, the slight nuance is it's actually, you can't give customers a reason to not trust you, right? Because you, a customer isn't looking at what you're recommending and saying, do I trust this recommendation or not? It's I, but the second it's not relevant to them, they lose trust. Or the second it's a, you know, a bad recommendation. They're like, this isn't, this has nothing to do with me. Why are you showing me this? Right. I Completely so love that idea. It's, so so it's, you actually, it's actually flipped, especially going forward in the future. I think there was an era of time where we all knew that everything we experienced was like Yahoo banner ads. And then all of a sudden when it was like felt relevant to us and it becomes native ads in your Facebook feed and it feels sort of delightful and feels like the content. That was a shift where we're, we went from like things that we knew for sure were mass market and then it became more personalized uh, but now we're at a place where consumers expect that if something is not relevant to them they're actually going to lose trust in the product that's faster uh, that's true yeah so and, and also part of, of why ai needs to be early in the strategy and that's that. That's a really lovely way of looking at it. And one of my favorite examples of that, Val, is that uh, after 20 years and four credit cards at one bank in Singapore, they still ask me to eat at steak restaurants. And I'm like, after thousands of vegetarian. years, I figured out I'm vegetarian <laughs> by now. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, so I completely think. But 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 it's it's a lovely phrase. I mean, for people who are listening to this thing, that you know that the it's not just about the AI building trust, but that you know the consumer knows that if you're doing something that is not right then they quickly, the, the loss of trust is much faster and steeper in some ways than the, you know, the slow accretion of trust that you're building, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, I think we could keep talking forever. I want to pull back um, and ask you a couple of questions. Over the course of your career, uh, you've seen a lot of changes in how data, savvy, how data savvy companies and consumers are becoming. If I were to ask you to wear a future looking hat, not necessarily linked only to credit card, you know, credit decisioning or payments or social media and say, what would be some three big changes you see that AI algorithms data will cost in the next three years? What would you make three big bets on? I think in, in no particular order, and I may not get to three, but one is taking further this idea that consumer expectation is that things are relevant to them today. And, and, but taking that further and saying, AI gives us the opportunity to actually create relationships with products and companies rather than transactions with products and companies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, rather than going from a world where maybe we're coming for the content or the social network and we're getting ads pushed at us and those ads become increasingly relevant, but we, you know, because the AI, maybe the experience is not at all about pushing a transaction, but like, let's say, I mean, Credit Karma is a, a pretty good example of this, but, um, but, but not quite all the way there. Like if you had an, an app and, and there's a bunch of different apps, like uh, Credit Karma actually even acquired an app called penny that was kind of a chat bot that imagine like you have this experience where you can ask any questions and you can have this community and you can just talk about let's say financial wellness and like personal finances and just trying to learn and, and you might do that for years and years and years and the the app is getting to know you more and more and more and then uh at some point you're going to need 
some product or service and this this personalized relationship you have with the service can suggest to you a product or service and then monetize that if you actually buy it or transact uh, or you know uh the you, you could probably rather than say home buying happening as a an arbitrage between like sem marketing and and like end conversions you know what if you instead had a you know a service that was building a relationship with you around like family planning and marriage and like and then at some point it knows you enough and knows you're going to need a home and when you have questions about like oh no i'm growing out of my house what should i do then you yep. might get led to a house and you might buy it and then the company makes money right so it's it's kind of ai being more accessible will allow us to uh again put it front and center as we've been talking about but in an even deeper way that makes it truly a relationship with the company or are product you, are you building that kind of thing in your role in gopay is that what you want to create out there over the next five years is that what we should be looking to uh that is is um i think an aspiration that it will, will take a lot of work uh, again it's it's a you know it's in some ways change management in an existing high growth Absolutely. you know product and model is is in some ways harder than and <laughs> starting Perfect. from scratch with with a certain vision um you know but that's that's one more on the on the kind of consumer side where where the you know ai can power true what feels like human relationship with products rather than transactional nature of the business um versus um which in some ways is harkening way back to like you know the local butcher who knows you and your family Absolutely. and who can suggest to you exactly what to you know or in your case the vegetable vendor right uh but the yep. uh you know you were quick I to think personalize in, there yeah one more question for you do you have any fears i mean with so much data being collected companies digital giants governments any fears that you have that um this is going to be weaponized against the consumer not in mass i i i doubt that in mass i think there is always a risk of uh, you know biases which are, and this is not a new idea right but like biases in in what different algorithms predict about different people based on what data it's trained on and and if you have biases in your data inputs you're going to get biases in your outputs right and that can negatively affect some groups over other groups or some profiles over other profiles so that is a risk uh, i have to say at a personal level you know I have uh and I use iOS on my phone and and laptops we have uh you know a shop on Amazon like crazy and have a prime user um Google of course for everything but we explicitly have a Cortana in the house rather than an Echo or and you know and I just generally avoid using Siri because it's you know I'm like well let's not give every you know let's not give one company one everything like it's like I I don't think there's any real tangible fear but it's like well i hedge my bets <laughs> at a personal level um 
but uh, you know, I, I think another another thing that excites me is there's you know right now so much of um, AI is predominantly driving bits businesses. If you think atoms versus bits, right? And and there's increasingly more in terms of introducing into atoms, like uh, you know. Zilingo, for example, using technology from a company they acquired in their in their software for factories to be able to detect whether or not a garment has a a, a, um, a flaw in the garment. Is the seam straight? Is the zipper on correctly, et cetera? Is it missing a button, right? And using AI to be able to detect those things. And and that's a that's what I would call an Adams business versus like a TikTok, which is only yep. a bits business. Um, that's an interesting so idea. I think that that is very exciting that it that will continue to to deepen into Adam's businesses and then you get into spaces that are even harder to tackle like agriculture right and and if you think about like there's a, a company in Indonesia called eFisheries which is using technology to figure out um how how much and how often to, to feed the shrimp and shrimp farms right because like the, the food going into the shrimp farms is the most costly costly thing right and also understanding like are there diseases popping up in different ponds that you need to address and so if you can if you can use ai to better monitor uh, and 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 suggest like how much inputs to use in agriculture to do it smartly or uh, or you can imagine like applying this to sustainability or like is a is a mango tree or a coffee bush or like ready to harvest or not or which bush within the orchard right um, or uh, or you could that you can imagine applying this to sustainability related uh, issues right like today if you want to make sure that your supplier of coffee or cocoa is not using child labor, well, you can pay millions of dollars to organizations that send a manual human to go audit at a scheduled time. And guess what? The farmer's just going to hide the children on the scheduled time. Right? Or you can put a drone out there and see everything. Precisely. But like drone technology is getting cheaper. AI is getting cheaper and more accessible. Fly a drone over, you know, every single day at random times and you figure out like, and you can create traceability in like, you know, like sustainability issues and anti-child labor um, in agriculture. So that's, that I think is super exciting that it will be um, really deepening into like applying the technology deeper and deeper and deeper into atoms based businesses that can really, really have major impact. So I don't think, uh, and, and I guess at heart you're an entrepreneur, so I don't think people like us will ever have a shortage of ideas with all the things that you're talking about. Uh, I'm sure we could keep on talking forever, but uh, and, and maybe we will do another podcast talking about just the new ideas in AI. But, um, you know, it's been fascinating talking to you. I think two or three things that were really stood out for me is this idea that product experience used to lead the data. And now it's kind of switching the fact that, you know, trust in the AI system can be lost very quickly. And the point that you just ended on, when is AI going to reach the world of atoms? I think these were three big takeaways from me. I'm sure there were others. Uh, Valerie Wagner, entrepreneur, chief growth officer at GoPay, one of the top women in AI and tech. It's been a pleasure having you on board about the show. 
clearly you're not a slave to the algo you're a master of one <laughs> thank you very much for being on the show thanks to sir. my viewers and to my viewers and listeners slaves to the algo is available on youtube spotify google and apple podcasts we release a new episode every tuesday and if you enjoyed listening to valerie and this week's episode don't forget to rate share and subscribe Stay safe in the age of COVID and stay relevant in the age of AI. See you all next week. Thank you very much once again, Valerie. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Slaves to the Algo, please rate, share, and subscribe. Visit crayondata.com to find out more. See you next time.